Welcome to Founders Without Spin with Joby Ingram Dodd. Welcome to Founders Without Spin. My name is Joby. I'm your host, and I'm super excited to have Gavin here from Dush. Hi, Gavin. How are you doing? I'm great. So the first, maybe the first thing we can do is is give me your elevator pitch on Dash and and what you what you are trying to achieve there. Yeah. So Dash, in brief, is a DeFi as a service platform for remittances, payments, and um, currency exchange in both crypto and fiat. Okay. And and when you say DeFi, what how how's that defined? It's a <laughs> that is decentralized finance. Uh, we, we're trying to work with blockchain. Okay. And so, so I guess typically in when you talk about blockchain and crypto and all of that stuff, obviously Bitcoin and all of the big name like Doge and all of those uh, come to mind. How, how does what you're doing kind of stand out and separate from the, from the more famous cryptocurrencies? Yeah, so what we're doing with Dash is we're not um, strictly relying on blockchain uh, as, the, as the core of, of the platform. So we're getting blockchain and we are integrating it with the centralized finance so that we can offer a wide array of services, cutting uh, from fiat, that is uh, the normal currency, to uh, crypto. So we're combining two things in one because uh, that's the only way that we can have a mainstream market and also uh, scale very quickly. I think that's what makes us stand out. Okay. And do you think... Do you, do you think that, that currency and digital transactions are still, do you not see a world where we go completely away from centralized traditional systems and move entirely to a world of crypto or blockchain? Well, it's, it's possible, you know, the possibility is there. But at the moment, really, blockchain as a, as a technology is still, uh, still growing. We're looking at things like speed. We're looking at things like settling of payments. So the infrastructure is still relatively young when you compare it to centralized financial services. So it's possible that we can move from uh, fiat and go uh, to blockchain totally. But the journey is still, uh, we're still at, in the early phases. So it, it's going to be quite exciting uh, as we go forward. Yeah, and what what's your kind of feeling or sense? Do you do you think it's realistic to you know? So if you follow, which I'm sure you do, lots of the sort of crypto conversations which go on in various social media platforms, you know, there is a hardcore which are like certain that that central banks will disappear and it will all be done on this you know utopian world of decentralized blockchain technologies. But do you think that that is ever a conceivable possibility or, or do you, you know, is the reality that governments are never going to allow it to get to that stage? Oh, well, uh, th- th- there is one fact with, uh, with crypto uh, when you compare it with fiat. You know, most cases you're seeing that uh, fiat is susceptible to inflation. That, that is that it's a constant, you know, and uh, when you look at blockchain projects, of course, uh, let's consider Bitcoin. You do not see inflation at any one point because there's most times a limit to what the, the, the amount of currency that's in circulation. So the governments in the beginning are going to say no. They'll say we can't do this. It's supposed criminality, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But in the long run, they, they will have to shift or at least adapt or try to borrow what blockchain offers and integrate it into their systems. Just like you're seeing China trying to bring in the digital yen, and then you're seeing countries like El Salvador 
completely switching to Bitcoin and making it a legal tender. See, that, that's, that's, that's how we're going to go. We're going to be seeing these conversations back and forth. But ultimately, you're going to see that governments will have to borrow from blockchain and then try to integrate with their existing systems. Okay. And where are you guys based? Well, currently, we, we kind of, it's, a, it's a remote uh, kind of team working from different countries. But I, for one, most of us are based in, in East Africa, in Uganda. And uh, we have teammates in Nigeria. Then we have some from uh, Rwanda. And do you, do you think that you know Africa is a good opportunity here to to adapt like blockchain and that kind of newer way of of processing payments? I know, I know that like mobile banking, for example, is is being huge, who who hugely rolled out in across Africa because it's a different market and it suits it suits better. Yeah, well, it, when it comes to Africa and on all levels, uh, leave alone payments and, 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 and the currency transactions, to leadership and governance, to uh, things like voting, I think that if there is a place where blockchain is needed or necessary, it's Africa. But just to uh, stick to the point of uh, where payments and currency is coming, you see that uh, with the advent of mobile banking, it's called mobile money in Africa, more than 60% of people are unbanked. But at the moment, if you see the number of people who are accessing uh, these mobile services, it's just unprecedented. So when you bring in blockchain in the picture and then you, you ease the speed and then you allow microtransactions, you're helping improve on the mobile money ecosystem. Because right now the transactions are very high. There is no interoperability between service providers. Like if you have, uh, I'll give you an example. If you have MTN and I have Airtel, those are service providers in Africa. I can't send money from MTN to Airtel at the same price. So that kind of interoperability is already a space which blockchain can solve. So that's, you're seeing that the need for blockchain just goes on expanding beyond just crypto to transactions, to governance and all the, those kinds of applications. Yeah, and I wonder if it, 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 there's an opportunity or, or a uh, risk, I suppose, depending on where, which angle you look at it, of this sort of exploding and growing and, and, and sort of a little bit under the radar and then countries which have uh, a bigger reliance on the traditional systems are suddenly find themselves a bit left behind and kind of chasing to, to catch up with it with the sort of new wave of payment systems. Yes, yes, uh, I, I agree when it comes to that. You know, we're seeing, for example, case of Nigeria where you have more than... Uh, $100 million in transactions or in Bitcoin only because they have a challenge with their Naira. The, the, the central bank keeps on um, uh, cutting the value of the Naira. So in the long run, you're going to see that economies like Nigeria, which is the largest in Africa, have taken on blockchain and Bitcoin, and it's really accelerating the growth of the economies, irrespective of uh, government accepting uh, the, the, or regulating the space. So yeah. in the long run, like you've said, we're going to find the, uh, we're going to find it hard for other countries who are delaying to actually catch up, and by the time they play catch up, it may be as well too late. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which which will be an interesting sort of dynamic to to observe globally, won't it? How that kind of plays out and yeah. the, and this sort of struggles that that manifests. So, so. What's your vision here for for Dutch? Is it is it to are you are you looking really at payment processing or you mentioned you know all the other potentials of, of blockchain like voting and and many others? Are you focused on payments or are you hoping to sort of expand and and do much more? 
Well, the, the, the original vision for Dash is ensuring that we can have equitable financial service access to as many people as possible. You know, we're talking uh, people who are have access, who have no access to the internet. We're talking to people who have who are in countries where the currencies are hyperinflated, like Zimbabwe and the likes. But th- that is that is the vision: financial access for very many people. But as we grow, you know, if we are able to probably five, ten years from now grow the ecosystem, and then we have. Uh, scalability that, that, that means we'll be able to build our own blockchain then those other applications could come in like governance and, and, and uh, voting and uh, verification protocols and the likes but at the moment at the moment the picture is can we have financial services to the unbanked masses and then how can we help them access things like credits have access to uh, remittances at, at cheaper transaction costs you know be able to have multi-currency wallets nfts I mean, accessing all those possibilities offered by blockchain in general. So that's what our emphasis at the moment. Mm, okay. And where does your, how did you get here as, a, as an individual? Where, where does your kind of entrepreneurial um, drive come from? And, and, and what brought you to payment solutions and, and this particular area to, to apply your trade, if you like? Yeah, well, on the entrepreneurship side, I mean, Naturally, I come from a background of people who are very hardworking, but also people who lacked access to opportunities. You know, people who are smart, people who are educated, but they didn't have access to opportunities. So that, that, that has been one of the key drivers for, for my entrepreneurship journey, being able to create opportunities for other people. Because I know if I, if I think I'm brilliant, then someone else is more brilliant than I am. But since the someone has no access to opportunity, how are we going to see that brilliance come to life, you know? So it started out small with a group of friends and all that. And we built a couple of projects. I didn't say, I don't think many were successful, but it was a learning curve. Mm-hmm. Now, fast forward, coming into the blockchain space, um, I was somewhere stuck and I needed about $10. And uh, I called someone, I was like, hey, can you send me $10 US? And then he told me, I can't send you $10 US because if I'm sending you $10, I would have to pay another $4 just for you to have $10 because it's through Western Union and the likes. And then I told him that $10 in the States could probably get you a Starbucks or it could get you a burger, a McDonald's and all that. But $10 in, in Uganda, to be specific, can pay a hospital bill. It could probably get someone health insurance so it can get them to school. So I looked at that and I was like, how do we sort that gap? Can we harness the power of changing currencies so that we can help people in these countries? That, that was one of the things. And then the other thing, seeing people in places whereby today you have 1,000 shillings, it can buy uh, some food, and then tomorrow 1,000 shillings can't buy a meal. It's literally useless. In a space of like a year, it shows the, the rate of inflation going to the roof. So all those things put together uh, made me come up with a solution and say, can we build something that can get up all these kinds of things? And then that's when Dash came into mind. Got a couple of friends. I uh, was uh, studying at Princeton University online through Coursera. So I was studying distributed technologies and I saw the, I was interested, you know, I became enthusiastic and uh, that's when we started building this. Yeah, really good. And, and are, you, are you in the code? Are you writing the code or are you kind of the uh, visionary and you've got some of your other team writing code or how, how, do, how do the roles? How yeah. So at the moment, I did not write the code. I have a group of coders, one from Ghana, another one from Nigeria, who are actually blockchain developers, who are trying to help us write the code. And just to, to, to give you a clear picture about this, 
journey. We took long to take off Dash to where it is right now because we didn't have the technical expertise. I, for one, I was studying blockchain economics and there was nothing to do with code. You would see Bitcoin and all that stuff. So limited resources and then uh, you don't have the, 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 the manpower, all that delayed us. But once we got a start from Celo Foundation, they gave us a small reward of about um, $200. That was it. That was the spark. And then everything just fell, fell into place. So at the moment, I'm not writing the code, but I have a group of people, uh, say two or three, who are helping us uh, write the code. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no reason that you have to write code, is there? You know, if you're, you, yeah, I'm sure you you have, you know, you're providing the vision and 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 the and there are coders writing code to implement that vision. It's not, you know, it's 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 yeah. Where are you now kind of live and are you, do you have some, some users getting, getting involved or are you, are you not quite at that stage yet? Yeah, well, at the moment we are pre-revenue where we're trying to um, get, because we have a problem with the, the way we are building our team. The fact that we are in remote kind of setting and also the fact that at the moment my developers are compensated based on equity. So our current stage of traction is uh, we're trying to our beta and uh, we're also trying to raise a seed round, 500k USD, so that we can be able to get in uh, a couple of developers also on the end of centralized finance and also to help us uh, go through regulatory um, rate debt because it's, the, the, the space is regulated when it comes to centralized finance. So we're trying to see how we can move from where we are and build a bit faster because they work part-time. And also my other co-founders work part-time because at, at the moment you, you still have to get food on the table, you know, you yeah, have to, to pay and all that stuff. Yeah. So that, that's where we are at the moment. We are pre-revenue and pre-seed, but you're trying to build up. Okay, cool. And what, what will be, what's the, the revenue model? Do you, will you take a, a percentage or, or a, a, a cut basically on, of, of, from each transaction? Yeah, so the revenue model is it's, uh, quite simple. Well, when, uh, when you onboard on Dash, the, the, the users on Dash, if you're transacting uh, P2P, that is from one Dash user to another Dash user, it's free. The, the, the cost is zero, zero percent. So that there is no charge on that. Then if you are uh, off-ramping that is from Dash to another user, probably you're moving your cash from, from Dash to your bank account or from Dash to your mobile money wallet. We'll charge you a percent. We'll charge you one point three percent. And then, if you are making payments, B two B or B two B two C, we charge one percent. But we do not charge the user. Like if you're paying at the mall or if you're paying online, we don't charge you the one percent. Rather, we charge the the merchant one percent. That that is our first planned revenue model. That is the the, the primary. And then the secondary revenue model is coming from. Um, one, the fact that you're going to build payment gateways, both fiat and crypto. So for businesses to be able to use our payment gateways, probably for online transactions in crypto or fiat, we'll, we'll charge them a small fee to onboard on our, on our payment gateways. And then we'll, when you are having trading going on, because we're going to be having a part for trade for crypto, we'll be charging trading fees. And then we'll also be charging um, fees on um, exchange. That is, if you have... Um, currency you're changing from dollar to shillings or dollar to pound and all that which had a small fee so that becomes our secondary revenue uh, stream that's basically our business model that sounds good and you know clearly uh one percent or 1.3 percent even is a lot lower than the 40 percent or 
or whatever the, uh, the, the current cross-platform transaction fees are. So it's clear that users will see a massive benefit from, from using your platforms. So. Yes, yes, yes. And, and, and uh, well, we're charging 1% because um, at the start, we may not be using our infrastructure, you know, since we're going to have, it may take some time for us to finish our gateways. But going forward, you know, if uh, we have built our own gateways and they're ready, we may actually charge less than that. Because the whole point is not for us to necessarily um, come here and find a way of exploiting our users, but we want to give a service that allows everyone to access organized financing. You know, the, the charges on transactions or from trading fees or from exchanging from crypto to fiat and back and forth, that alone can sustain us and probably give us profitability in the long run. So 1% for the start, but going forward, we may go, maybe go 0.5 or even less. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like crypto transaction fees can be, you know, I, I was moving some into an NFT and, and realized I'd spent most of my, uh, what I had in fees before I'd even, you know. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. If, if you are, for example, using uh, the Ethereum chain, I mean, the gas yeah, visa, yeah. They, are, they are through the roof, you know, but, but the options, uh, for example, if you're moving on the Binance Smart Chain and the likes, the fees, the, the fees are laced even on Celo and the likes. So I think it depends on how the blockchain is built or how, where, where you're transacting from. But the most important thing is ensuring that the fees are as low as possible to allow as many people as possible to use the service and ultimately gain the value out of it. Because that's the, that's the main aim of everything, creating value for as many people as you can. Yeah, and, you, and so is your plan then to, to sort of expand through Africa and then uh, into the rest of the world? Yeah, yeah, precisely. Our first market, of course, is, 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 is West Africa, Nigeria, and, and Uganda, and South Africa. But that is that is the primary target market. But if you look at the, the offering as Dash in, in the start, we're looking at remittances from, from the diaspora, from, from, from Europe and from North America. So essentially, when we if can take off and gain good traction, are we looking at going into markets like um, South America, Argentina, Chile, Brazil, where you have the, the need for digital currency or the need for cashless payments going uh, being high and demand being high. So for the start, Africa, yes, but we, we want to go beyond and into those markets, El Salvador, where there is demand for blockchain services. Yeah, and I suppose where there is already precedent of, you know, they 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 already shown that they are keen to use blockchain. So that you know, it's clear yeah. that those markets are up for, for up for new solutions. Yes, exactly, exactly. And then the businesses there, uh, for example, online businesses, and then then local merchants, probably someone selling mangoes. On the roadside, uh, if you're if you're, so you're in Jamaica or you're in the Caribbean, and then you they, they want you to pay them in crypto. If if there is not uh, a service that can easily make that, that that transaction seamless and fast, then you know there's already a gap there. Yeah. So those are the gaps we're looking to fill, not only in Africa but beyond, you know, uh, into those other countries. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there are uh, a handful, certainly in the UK, there's a handful of of places which will accept Bitcoin as a payment, but the process is pretty slow and, and laborious, really, and I don't think it's anything more than a gimmick, really, for, for these places. But but if it was as viable and as simple as, as tapping your, your uh, credit or debit card or something, that then I can't see why um, it wouldn't be a, a game changer, really. Exactly. Things like scanning to pay or uh, someone sending you a request for you to send them crypto or uh, doing it with uh, crypto addresses. You know, having someone just use your name 
for example, when I send money to Gavin, they say Gavin, send Bitcoin to Gavin instead of having to copy and paste the complicated address. You know, those are small, small things in the user experience, but that, that's the, the best way that you can have the you know, mainstream adoption of crypto and, 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 and blockchain. You know? So that those are things that we want to sort out with, with Dash, but we'll start small and then we see how far we can go. Yeah, sounds super cool. So, you, so the the guys who are coding for you are they your co-founders, or, or do you have other other co-founders who are, who are building the business with you? Yeah, I the ones that are coding are not my co-founders. I have I have three co-founders. I have a lady; she she does our sales, and then I have one who's the, doing business development and product um, research. And uh, yeah, those are the three people: one lady and two other gentlemen. Those are my co-founders. Yeah. And are they have you worked with them before? They've come from you know how like finding co-founders can be a bit of a uh, tricky business because you've got to work super close for for uh, little or no money to start with. How did you go about finding them? Yeah, well, the, one of them he's actually my old friend. Like we grew up together in the same place, so we we used to go playing football all over the place. So we know each other quite well. And then we had this venture in poetry. So we have a history of doing stuff together, failing together, and then, you know, coming back again together. And it's the same case for my second gentleman. It's called Kenneth. And um, we met now my first company that I started. He was one of the first guys to believe in me. I had no money. I had nothing. It's like, you know, I want to work with you. I think you're a great visionary. So I started working with him. And then the lady dates way back in high school. Uh, she was my vice president back then in the bait club. So it's, she has exceptional skills in um, talking to people and all that stuff. So I've worked with this guy for quite some time, for all the way from, I think, 2000, uh, 2016. So these are guys I've been with for some great, great time. And they trust in me. I trust in them. And we do great stuff. Yeah, cool. Cool, cool. Well, we're coming up to our uh, time limit, I think, here. But before you go, so at the end of each of these podcasts, I'm uh, getting all my guests to give three recommendations. I'm after a recommendation for a podcast, a book, and a TV show. They don't have to be business related, or but just something maybe that inspires you or or motivates you, or that's just entertaining. Oh, okay. It's been a while since I listened to podcasts, but movie and uh, and, and and the book. Well, I, I've been reading this. What's his name? It's called uh, "Leading Without a Title." I think that is. Let me try to get the, the author. It's called "A Leader Without a Title." It's 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 an amazing read. I tell you, it's 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 so good. It's so good. And then when it comes to uh, that is my recommendation for a book. Yeah. When it comes to a TV show, I actually have two in mind. I think. Everyone would love billions. I mean, billions is just amazing. And then I've been watching Snowfall. Snowfall, Snowfall is is also a great show. So the book is uh, the leader who had no title, Robin Sharma. Yeah, that's that's one of the ones I I illustrated a few few days back. I mean, it's, it's an amazing read. Yeah. Yeah, and then so for the podcast, well, I was listening to the one hundred. Uh, it's called the Investors Podcast. I forgot him, but it's mostly to do about real estate investment and all that. But it's been a while since I listened to it. But for the shows, Billions and Snowfall. And then the leader who had no title, Robin Sharma, was a book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Billions is brilliant. I really, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Really good. Fantastic. Okay. And if uh, people want to reach out to you, what's the best way? What's your website or, or social media? Or what's the best way to reach out to you? Oh, oh sure. Um, so... The most people that want to reach me, they can reach me on my Twitter handle, 
at ziza dash at ziza underscore jr ziza underscore jr that's my twitter handle uh, and then our website so far for dash is let me try to put it in chat if you, if you i will uh, put a link to it in the show notes or any listeners can access it there oh I'll put a link to that yeah so they can reach me on my twitter probably for, for the website okay cool see. And I will also add in the show notes your LinkedIn as well, which I, which I already have the link for. So. Oh, yes, yes, yes. My LinkedIn too is available and, and it's open for those who may want to reach me over there. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on to Founders Without Spin. And uh, yeah, it sounds like you're doing some amazing stuff. And hopefully we can, we'll all be paying using Dash in in a few years time i hope so i hope so and uh, thank you guys for hosting me it's been a pleasure hope the future is bright with their payments being seamless yeah